Countdown for blastoff. X minus one. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Richard Diamond, private detective. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Dragnet. We offer you escape. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. The Jack Benny Program. Hi, this is Carl Amari, and welcome to episode 19 of Radio Rarities, the weekly podcast series that examines unique episodes from the golden age of radio. My co-host is the vivacious Lisa Wolf. This week, it's a story told by a unique connoisseur. A connoisseur not of cars nor wine, but of murder. His tale today involves one of this country's most notorious cases from the late 19th century. Right, Lisa, it's the true crime story of Lizzie Borden, as dramatized on Crime Classics. The murder of her father and stepmother in Fall River, Massachusetts, during the summer of 1892, generated national news for weeks. And it was these news reports and other contemporary sources, along with just the right amount of humor and period music, that made this episode and the entire radio series a classic. Crime Classics was created by Elliot Lewis, one of the most gifted actors, producers, and directors of radio's golden age. He participated as an actor in many shows, from The Cinnamon Bear to Phil Harris and Alice Faye to The Whistler. At the time Crime Classics was being conceived, Lewis was the producer-director of both Suspense and Broadway Is My Beat. During the summer of 1949, Lewis convinced the CBS brass to air a series he created called Crime Classics. Lewis was always fascinated with true crime and proposed a radio program to CBS that dramatized authentic and often gruesome real-life stories. But he wanted Crime Classics to have a bit of whimsy, so he enlisted the duo of Morton Fine and David Friedkin to sprinkle the scripts with dark humor. Both Fine and Friedkin had previously migrated to Hollywood from different East Coast haunts. Their initial writing collaboration occurred in the mid-1940s with The Front Page and Johnny Fletcher, they began writing for Elliot Lewis on Broadway Is My Beat when Lewis assumed the producer-director duties in the fall of 1949. The homicides chosen for crime classics covered a period of nearly two millennia, from A.D. 44 all the way into the 19th century. The author's sense of humor was displayed in an interview with Walter Ames of the Los Angeles Times in which they'd chortled, you can afford to laugh at murder as long as you're safely a century or so away from it. They didn't stop there, though, adding, fortunately for us, the killers we make fun of are good and dead. If they weren't, we know a pair of writers who would be. That's very amusing, Carl. The connoisseur who served as narrator of these yarns was Thomas Highland, portrayed by radio pro Lou Merrill. Merrill was a well-known character actor cast in such shows as Lux Radio Theater, Lights Out, and Suspense. He had the lead as Captain McKenzie of the submarine Omega in the short-lived science fiction series Latitude Zero. Crime Classics debuted on CBS June 15, 1953 as a summer replacement for the vacationing Suspense. It remained in that Monday night slot until Suspense returned for the new fall season 
and Crime Classics was shifted to Wednesday nights. As you listen to this episode, pay particular attention to the music. We'll tell you more about that afterward. And now, from September 30th, 1953, the bloody, bloody banks of Fall River, as told on Crime Classics. Good evening. This is Crime Classics. I am Thomas Highland with another true story of crime. Listen. That's a chicken. She's a fat one. She's doing practically all the things a chicken can do. And besides all this cleverness, she's about to perform her primary function. She's going to be a dinner. The lady who carries the bird in her left hand is named Abby Durfee Borden, stepmother to Emma and Lizzie Borden. Mrs. Borden weighs over 200 pounds. The curved-handled axe she holds in her right hand is her favorite when she goes out amongst the chickens. Her favorite because with it she does such a neat job. Which is more than I can say for the person who murdered Mrs. Borden and her husband, Mr. Borden. So tonight, my report to you on the bloody, bloody banks of Fall River. Crime Classics. A new series of true crime stories from the records and newspapers of every land from every time. Your host each week, Mr. Thomas Highland, connoisseur of crime, student of violence, and teller of murders. Now, once again, Mr. Thomas Highland. The place is Fall River, Massachusetts, at the start of a hot August in 1892. In that era, it was a town whose dominant color was brown, the color of sun-dried lawns, of rain-stippled brick and board, of ladies' dresses that reached from neck to pavement. Next in popularity, as far as color went, was black. It was a stern time and a stern place, and bleak, where certain types of smiles were suspect and where women only dared to stretch in the privacy of kitchen or boudoir. It was a time, too, when 18 was the age of marriage, and a single woman of 32 had to find surcease in this way. Breaking saloon's windows. Knitting. Secretly tearing from the newspaper the latest picture of John L. Sullivan. Also, Jim Corbett, who was rumored to be more of a gentleman. Or this way. Till death thy endless mercy seal. Lizzie Borden's way. And make the sacrifice complete. Amen. There now, how did you like that hymn? Oh, very much, Reverend Job. And then I shall write my brother to send me the rest of the new ones from New York. I trust your judgment, Miss Borden, implicitly. How is your brother? Oh, he's getting married. Married? Didn't I tell you? No. No, you didn't. I'm sorry. I think, Reverend, you might have let me know in another way. Less blunt. But you don't even know my brother. I hope he'll be very happy. I'm sure you do. Reverend. Yes, Miss Lizzie? 
And how much longer will you grieve? Dear Miss Lizzie. Your wife is gone now for four years. Dear, dear Miss Lizzie. How kind is your concern? <clears throat> Still let me prove thy perfect will. My acts of faith, faith and, and love, love repeat. repeat. Till death thy endless mercy seal. Amen. Your father likes chicken, Lizzie. Chicken he shall get. Glad you came out to the backyard. You can do something for me beside picking pears from the tree. You're just jealous because you can't eat pears, Mrs. Borden, because you break out. Where you been, Lizzie? With the Reverend Mr. Jubb. He got some new hymns from New York. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Oh, if I was a true mother to you instead of a stepmother, I'd tell you right out you're never going to get married, Lizzie. New hymns from New York, your work with the fruit and flower mission. None of these are going to help. If I was a true mother to you, I'd tell you all of those things, but tenderly. Yes, Mrs. Borden. And it eats inside you, doesn't it, stepdaughter? Yes, Mrs. Borden. You and your sister Emma, old maids. They say that about you. Did you know that? Yes. Yes, Mrs. Borden. Here. Least you can do is some work. You can pluck a chicken as well as anyone. Yeah, well, I do the other. Get used to being useful. That's a way to live, too. Take it. All right. Mrs. Borden? What is it? Aren't you concerned about yesterday? What about yesterday? About the barns being broken into. Some children, probably. Why should they break into the barn? Looking for iron for sinkers so they could fish. Not so delicate, Lizzie. You do it this way. This way. I told Mr. Jubb about the milk. What are you talking about? About the milk. What about it? You've been in this sun too long, Mrs. Borden. Burned your memory away. About the milk. It's being poisoned. <gasps> poisoned? Why else do you think everyone in the family got sick day before yesterday? You didn't. I don't drink milk. And the barn's being ransacked. There's someone who wants to do us harm. <laughs> Make your fancy, stepdaughter. Someone who hates my father. <laughs> your father said a man at the bank had cursed him. <laughs> father said he'd seen the man loitering about. Oh, now we've come to it, haven't we? What? Now we've brought the conversation around. What? Your father. Tell you something. He doesn't care for you. <laughs> he doesn't care for you at all. He loves me. Not at all. <sighs> What's the matter? Blood. All over my hands. Blood. Ooh, chicken blood. It'll wash off. That's the trouble with you, Lizzie. You shudder your way through. 
What did you do that for? What did you smear that blood on my face for? To see how you look, Mrs. Borden. This is not exactly a healthy relationship between two grown people. But let's face it, the possibility of a lady's liking another lady in the Borden household was pretty remote. First of all, after the widowed Mr. Borden married Abby, he told his two daughters to do everything Abby told them. And often, Abby would order Lizzie to do things right in the middle of plucking a pear from the backyard tree. And Lizzie dearly loved the pears from the backyard tree. Also, it was a constant source of wild hilarity for Abby that neither of her stepdaughters had been taken as bride. She'd gotten married, but... Lizzie never did, nor Lizzie's sister, Emma. And sometimes Lizzie would go to her father's room and she'd ask him this. How can you stand her? She takes care of my needs. She cherishes me. She's a hulk. When seen through the eyes of affection... Oh, father. It's much too late to ask you to love her, Lizzie. But I insist that this kind of conversation concerning my wife shall be the last. Whatever you say, father. Now it's very hot. I think I lie down. I'll take off your shoes. Never mind. I want to. Very well. Father. Yes? Tell me about my mother, my real mother. Oh, Lizzie, Please. it's been so Please. long. I've forgotten. You have not. Yes. Yes, I have. No. She was very lovely. She had brown hair. She had brown eyes, and she was slender. You used to tell me... Father. What? Why did you let her die? She had a sickness for you which... You let the... her die. You could have saved her and you let her die. Lizzie! And you married that hulk. I forbid you... Father, father, listen to I me. I forbid you to speak of my wife in such a manner. Let's go away from here, father. Away? Yes, you and I. Give that woman this house and we'll go away. Father... You'll go away, not me. What? You speak often of quitting this house. I'm going to live with a friend. Do it. You can't mean that. Do it. Good night. Father, Father, I want you to know I always love you, no matter what you say to me. I know, and I'm sorry for you. Good night, Lizzie. It was the night of August 3rd in the year 1892, a stifling night, humid, sleepless, and filled with drone. A million small sounds, continuous and insistent, made up of insects and dry grass and moist night clothes against moist bedding. And in the middle room of the second floor of number 92 Second Street, Lizzie Borden walked. And walked. And grew warmer and walked. (sighs) 
<laughs> and Lizzie Borden wept. Her face pressed to the earth, she wept. And in a little while, for some reason or another, she got up and walked over to the pear tree and plucked a pear and ate it and smacked her lips sweet with juice at the moon. Lizzie Borden. listening to Crime Classics and your host, Thomas Hyland. This Saturday night, CBS Radio's Gangbusters presents the story of the Soda Fountain Pigeon. Also Saturday nights on most of these same stations, don't miss the exciting adventures of United States Marshal Matt Dillon on Gunsmoke. Gangbusters and Gunsmoke, Saturday nights at the Star's Address, hear both for twice the excitement. You're listening to Radio Rarities. We'll return after this short break. Hi, Carl Amari here. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Shadow, Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, Dragnet, Suspense, and Burns and Allen, consider becoming a member of the Classic Radio Club. Each month, members receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows in superior sound quality, along with historical liner notes and photos of their radio stars. The 10 shows I'll send you will be on five CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. Members also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full five-hour holiday Hollywood 360 radio show and the 30-minute Radio Rarities podcast that Lisa Wolf and I co-host. The digital links never expire, so you can listen to Hollywood 360 and Radio Rarities whenever you'd like. In total, you'll receive 34 classic radio shows per month. And when you join the Classic Radio Club, there's no long-term commitment. You can cancel at any time. Become a Classic Radio Club member at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. Now, back to Radio Rarities. And now, once again, Thomas Hyland in the second act of Crime Classics and his report to you on the bloody, bloody banks of Fall River. I'd like to give you a brief rundown on the Borden family. Let's pick the last day all of them were alive, August 4th, 1892. Let's say about 7 o'clock in the morning. Andrew Jackson Borden yawning. A.J. Borden is the head of the house and worth over a quarter of a million dollars. He's getting up now and getting ready to go to the bank so he can be near some of it. Lace me up, Andrew. Abby Durfee Borden, just before lacing up. Abby is 64 years of age and hadn't gone downstairs without a corset since the age of 15. Lizzie Borden, still asleep. Night clothes on the chair where she left them last night, and dreamless. Woman in bed. There are two other people I must mention. There's Bridget Sullivan, the maid, who is making the mutton soup for breakfast, and Emma Borden, sister to Lizzie, who's off on a trip to Fairhaven in behalf of the fruit and flower mission. We know that the Bordens, all of them, had their breakfast. We know that Mr. Borden left the house at 9 o'clock for the bank, and we know that Bridget washed the windows in the attic. And we know that, as Bridget sat on the windowsill, washing in such a way that a good part of her was hanging over 2nd Street, Lizzie Borden was inside, holding her feet so Bridget wouldn't fall. And we know, too, that there was conversation. I 
don't feel so good. Why? What's the matter? My stomach still hurts when I press it. It's from the other day. When the milk was poisoned? No, I don't think it was the milk. It was the bananas. I think Mrs. Borden fried them too long. And I always say that bananas fried too long in mutton soup don't go well together. Oh, help me inside, Lizzie. Here, press me, here. Oh! You see? Well, then you should lie down, Bridget, and sleep. Oh, if I could, I would. But I got these windows to do. You just lie down here in your room and sleep. Oh, but... Oh, you do what I tell you. If you mean it, there's nothing I'd like better. I mean it. I'd better inform Mrs. Borden where I'll be No. Oh, I'd better? No. Mrs. Borden is going out soon. Going out? Oh, she did now in a napping. I really do. Here. I'll turn down your bedclothes. In. In with you. Now you just go to sleep. Saying that to Bridget. You go right to sleep. Saying a thing like that was like putting chloroform under Bridget's nose. She was a snoozer, that one. When she worked, she worked, but get her on a feather bed, good night all, off she went. Lizzie tucked her in and watched over her for a few minutes, and then Lizzie went downstairs and into the guest room. Hello, Mrs. Borden. What do you want, Lizzie? I thought you'd gone out. What made you think that? Oh, I just thought so. And now what do you want? What are you doing in this room, Mrs. Borden? And why shouldn't I be here? Hmm? Bridget could make up the guest room. You don't have you to... You know very well Bridget is not allowed to clean any of the rooms on the second floor. Oh, yes, I... But father's coming home. That's strange. The side door's locked. He can't get in. It's never locked this time of day. Hurry! Just a minute! Haven't you got a key? Why is the side door locked? I don't know. Haven't you got a key? No. Come down and open the door. But try the front one. All right. Wait a minute. It's locked. I'll send Lizzie down. Go down and open the door for your fat. A vacuum in time. Here is where truth ends and knowledge. On August the 4th, 1892, at number 92 Second Street in the town of Fall River, Massachusetts, the time between 10 and 11.15 a.m. is lost. Lost, that's the only word for it. Wrenched somehow out of the rest of time and lost. And started again when that happened. Bridget! Bridget! Get up! Get up! When that was spoken. Call me, Miss Lizzie. Come downstairs, quickly! Someone came into the house and murdered Father! What? What did you say? Someone has murdered Father! Murdered him? With an axe. No, no, don't go in there. Go across the street and get Dr. Brown. Quickly! Someone has hit father with an axe and killed him. Come into the 
front door. It's open. Lizzie, where is your father? In the sitting room, on the sofa. Come. You see? Oh, you'd better call for Mr. Harrington to the police. Yes? Who's that? It's me. It's Bridget. Dr. Bowen will be over. May I say something? Of course. Mr. Harrington of the police should know about this. Uh, perhaps Mrs. Borden should know of this first. She's not here. She's out on a sick call. Where is everybody? Oh, in here, Dr. Bowen, the sitting room. Your father is quite dead, my dear. Yes. I suggest you so inform the police. Inform Mr. Harrington. I'll, I'll see to it. You're very kind. This next will be pretty hard to take, but you just have to believe it. I've got the records right here to prove it. Not only was Mr. Harrington not to be found, but there was hardly any cop at all in Fall River. At this very moment, most of them were taking part in the annual excursion of the Fall River Police Association at a shore resort at Rocky Point, which is near Providence, Rhode Island. So, even as Mrs. Churchill was yelling her lungs out for a policeman, they were running sack races, splitting up into quartets for singing purposes, and the more athletic were getting their mustaches wet in the Atlantic Ocean. However, a Marshal Hilliard, who had gotten up too late to meet the trolley, which met the excursion train, was sulking around town, and he's the one Mrs. Churchill spotted. She brought him back to number 92 Second Street. Here, the Marshal viewed the body, gave condolences to Lizzie, and set about looking for clues. During his search, Mrs. Churchill made a remarkable discovery. Lizzie? Yes, Mrs. Churchill? I've just been up on the second floor. Yes. Your mother's up there. She's not my mother. She's my stepmother. She's dead. She's my stepmother. It looks like somebody took an axe and... Well, she's dead. It was quite a troop who went upstairs to look in on Mrs. Abby Borden. There was Lizzie and Bridget and Marshall Hilliard. Then there was Mrs. Russell and Mrs. Bowen and several other ladies who happened in off the street. Then there was Dr. Bowen, and in a little while, the Reverend Mr. Jubb happened in. The latter was the kindest of all to Lizzie. Finally, toward dusk, Mr. Harrington did appear, sun-tanned and sandy and with both his striped bathing suits folded neatly in a strong brown paper. He took charge, and he asked Lizzie where her sister was. In Fairhaven, doing work for the Fruit and Flower Mission. Had her sister been there at the time her mother was murdered? She's not my mother. She's my stepmother. Very well, but where were you, Lizzie Borden? In the barn, getting a piece of iron. For what? Sinkers for my fishing. The whole morning? And in the garden. How did you happen to find your father dead? I was bringing him a pair. And the doctor? I would say your father was killed an hour and a half after your mother. What about that, Lizzie Borden? She's not my mother. She's my stepmother. Who do you think killed them, then? The same man who poisoned the milk. The same man who broke into the barn. The same man who my father saw loitering. Don't you think it's strange that Bridget was asleep and your sister out of town and you out in the garden 
All of you out of the way for one hour and a half while your parents are murdered? Mrs. Borden cannot rightly be called a parent of mine. And these were the questions asked, and these the answers. Harrington asked them, the coroner asked them, the prosecuting attorney asked them. Yes, indeed, Lizzie was tried for murder, so there was a prosecuting attorney, and he asked them. These questions and a lot more. The trial lasted 13 days, and Lizzie Borden was adjudged not guilty. So, if Lizzie Borden was declared not guilty, we must assume this is the way our unknown murderer operated. Hot day on a busy street in Fall River. Murderer walking down it, carrying axe. Mrs. Borden disposed of. Wait one hour and a half. Then... Mr. Borden. Then... goes. Murderer covered with blood, carrying a bloody axe, and no one noticed him. Or they'd go yelling for Mr. Harrington. No one did. So the murderer was never found. And Lizzie? She never married. She embraced other things. Till death thy endless mercies seal. And make the sacrifice complete. Amen. just a moment, Thomas Highland will tell you about our next crime classic. Fall River, tonight's crime classic, was adapted from the original court reports and newspaper accounts by Morton Fine and David Friedkin. The music was composed and conducted by Bernard Herman, and the program is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Thomas Highland is portrayed on radio by Lou Merrill. In tonight's story, Irene Tedrow was heard as Lizzie Borden. Featured in the cast were Jeanette Nolan, Betty Harford, Sarah Selby, Herb Butterfield, William Johnstone, and Paul Fries. Bob Lamont speaking. And here again is Thomas Highland. Next week, Rudgley, England, in the year 1855, and a brilliant young medical man whose hobby was dead people 
and live racehorses. My report to you will be on The Hangman and William Palmer. Who won? Thank you. Good night. Tomorrow night, Van Johnson stars in the Thursday theater production of The Old Man's Bride. It's a modern John Alden romance with loads of surprises, as the man sent to fetch a bride for another learns plenty from a latter-day Priscilla with a strong mind of her own. It's the Thursday theater presented by CBS Radio tomorrow night on most of these same stations. Thursday nights, Marlena Dietrich stars in Time for Love on the CBS Radio Network. So was Lizzie guilty, Carl? I guess we'll never know. She was tried and acquitted of the August 4th, 1892 axe murders of her father and stepmother in Fall River, Massachusetts, and no one else was charged in the murders, and despite ostracism from some residents, Borden spent the remainder of her life in Fall River. The story of Lizzie Borden has been adapted for many radio series, including Unsolved Mysteries, Stay Tuned for Terror, and also Suspense. It remains a topic of American pop culture to the present day. Lizzie Borden has been depicted in numerous films, theatrical productions, literary works, and folk rhymes. Lizzie Borden took an axe, gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Thanks. I won't be sleeping tonight. This crime classics adaptation provided a unique perspective with the expert underplayed narration by Lou Merrill as the connoisseur of crime, Thomas Highland. Variety critic Bob Chandler noted Merrill at the time injected just the right amount of wryness. But not all of the pundits caught the tongue-in-cheek characterization. Gene Plotnick in the Billboard asked, Who is this Thomas Highland? As a connoisseur of crime, he must have some wonder for the events and some sympathy for the characters and the stories he tells. Perhaps Walter Ames from the L.A. Times, who we mentioned before the episode, had the best sentiment. He noted of writers Morton Fine and David Friedkin have drawn with their typewriters the same sort of macabre humor that Charles Adams produces with his pen and ink. That's an excellent analogy, Carl, to equate crime classics with the artist who delighted decades of readers of the New Yorker magazine with those ghastly but humorous cartoons. Those caricatures served as the basis for the Adams Family 1960s television series. And speaking of television, there was a TV pilot made of crime classics in 1957, but unfortunately it did not sell. But the radio series, which promoted a year's worth of murder and mayhem on CBS, was quite successful, even though they did not obtain a sponsor. The series earned a Distinguished Achievement Award in the radio crime drama category from TV Radio Life magazine. One of the more fascinating aspects of the series, which really contributed to its atmosphere, was the music. With minimal budgets for 1950s radio programs, the music was usually performed by a lone organist or provided by recordings. However, Elliot Lewis was able to convince Academy Award winner Bernard Herman 
who had composed and conducted the music for many CBS programs, including the Mercury Theater on the Air and Suspense, to do the same for crime classics. The catch, due to Lewis's restrictive budget, was that the composer was limited to three or four musicians per episode. After some debate, Herman accepted the challenge and, over the course of the series, effectively used harp, timpani, oboe, and various brass instruments for the series. The result was some of the most ingenious music to be utilized on a dramatic program. Bernard Herrmann is mainly known for his collaborations with director Alfred Hitchcock, having composed the music for Psycho, North by Northwest, The Man Who Knew Too Much, and Vertigo. He also composed the music for Citizen Kane, The Day the Earth Stood Still, Cape Fear, Fahrenheit 451, and Taxi Driver. And he worked in the television medium, too, writing scores for The Twilight Zone and Have Gun Will Travel. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition of Radio Rarities. Radio Rarities is a Gulfstream Studios copyrighted production produced by yours truly, Carl Amari. My co-host is Lisa Wolf. Mike Costella is our executive producer, and the show is written by Carl Shadow. Next week, We present a horror story starring Bela Lugosi, so don't miss it. Thanks for listening. Hey everybody, Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.